Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 249 of Yoga Land. Welcome to 2022. It's hard for me to even say it. It's such such a like mind-blowing year that we are in. And hi, Jason. I don't know if anyone else out there is like me in this situation, but I genuinely almost never know what year we're in. Yeah, when I write checks, I don't, which I don't even write checks that often anymore. But yes, it's agreed. sort of strange. Though 22 has a good ring to it. I feel like 2022? this one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this one's going to stick. Yeah, I yeah. know. It's easier. It's yeah. it's like, yeah, anyway, I was going to say it's like 2020, but hopefully it's not going to be like 2020. And we are recording on the second day of the year. And it's been a good year so far. Yeah, so far, so good. So far, so good. So yeah. far, so good. Yeah. I'm always, you know, I'm not always the most optimistic person. I can be fearful and anxious. <laughs> so I hope it's not all downhill from here. <laughs> exactly. But so far, so good. Speaking of which, when you said the date, it reminded me that to make the announcement that your advanced teacher training, so your three modules, which can be taken together or one at a time. They're live. A la carte are are ready for registration. So yes. the online, the online only version Correct. is, is uh, open for registration. Also, my hybrid with Trioga in London is yes. also open. So your hybrid is open, and that is on Trioga's website. So I yeah. will put both of those links um, in the um, episode description here, so that people can just click to both of them and check them out. And if you want to do the London training this year. Your advice is to do all three modules. My advice is to do all three modules, but if you can only do one module, do one module. So here's here's kind of the point on it, right? So yeah. so I don't want to make multi-year promises anymore. The assumption was always that, you know, if you did a module with me in one year in San Francisco or London or Hong Kong, then in perpetuity in multiple years, you could do whatever other modules wherever. But the last two years have been so remarkably remarkable that in terms of physical locations, I'm only thinking about one year at a time. So you feel, we both feel. <laughs> so what we are promising is that the online modules will go on in perpetuity. Totally. So if you can only do one of those this year and you want to space those out over several years, yeah. that makes sense and that's fine. But in terms of showing up at a physical location – we know that's happening for you totally. in 2022, and that's all we know. Right. Final point on that is if you know you want to do a module in person this year, but you're not sure if you can do all three, you're not going to be left hanging. So if you only do one or two, then you can do whatever module that you didn't do in hybrid, you can do that online. Yeah. So okay. we made that That shift. makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. The other thing I just really want to promote is... This uh, week, we'll have another yoga teacher companion, which I'm super excited about. Last week, if you haven't checked it out already, I talked about the relationship between flexibility and mobility. And then this week, we're kind of expanding on that conversation to look at active range of motion, passive range of motion, and end range strength. And if you are a yoga teacher and you are a genuine, kind of sincere, longer time practitioner, you want to know what all five of these things are. When someone says, what's flexibility? What's mobility? What's end range strength? What's passive range? What's active range? 
you really want to understand the relationship between all of these and how they're how they're distinct and yet how they play off one another. And I'll just tell you, it's really important to stay on top of language. One of the things that we know as teachers, at least when it comes to the physicality of the yoga practices, it continues to evolve. It continues to change. And, and other movement modalities continue to bleed a little bit into postural yoga and vice versa. So understanding some of the language that comes from the functional fitness world, from FRC, from all these other worlds, I think it's really important. And so these episodes do a really good job of unpacking it and giving you some examples that you can take into your practice. So you can listen to those, just download them how you usually do. If you're a subscriber to Yogaland, they will automatically populate for you. But we have really nice professionally done video that goes with it on Jason Crandall Yoga YouTube. Yes. And this is a great thing to, if you missed the webinar uh, that Jason did in December about the same topic, this is kind of more, it's broken down into little smaller chunks, but once you put them all together, uh, it's, it's, it's great content if you missed that, that webinar. Yeah. In fact, the webinar, I filmed these, uh, practice companions or teacher's companions before I did the webinar. So the webinar I kind of created because after having produced those videos, I just, even though I hadn't released them, I just thought it was really important content that, you know, I want everyone to share. And also teaching so many teachers over time, I just see how easy it is to be confused about this terminology Mm -hmm. and about kind of the subtle technical different points of differentiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to give a little sneak preview of the podcast, um, some episodes that are coming up this season. So it's been a while since I have interviewed anyone aside from you. Wait a second. My friend. Yes. Are you? Yeah. There's going to be other guests on the podcast. Well, because, you know. A plurality of voices. Sometimes people, yeah, like to hear different points of view. You know, you always talk about diverse viewpoints. Yeah. I talk about that, but then when I realize that means listening to a viewpoint other than my own, yeah, well, that's why you added the yoga teachers companion so you can make sure that everyone still hears you every week. Okay, okay, coming up. So I'm really genuinely so excited. I mean, in part, it's taken me so long to relaunch other interviews because it's just I've been really mulling over the direction that I want the podcast to go and who I want to have on. And it's not easy to create this content for this long. It's been like almost six years, I think, or maybe even, yeah, almost six years. So I'm going to have a, a, like an array of different topics. Very soon I'm going to have a man named James Woods is going to be on the podcast. He is an MFT. So he's a therapist and he started working in the foster care system and in the school system and realized that he felt like the system wasn't really working. He wasn't really comfortable with the tools that he had at his disposal. So he ended up finding yoga, and now he works with kids in Riverside County using yoga and his and his therapy skills. So I'm excited to talk to him. I'm also going to be talking to Chioma, and I actually don't know how to say her last name yet. I have to... Um, just to, skip it. Don't I, say it. I'm not going to say it. But she is. She's known as the mindful bookkeeper. On... I think with a name like Chioma, you only needed one name. 
Yeah, it's, such a solid it's a beautiful name. name. Yeah. It's such a beautiful name. She she says, call me Chi, which is like perfect for perfect. yoga. So she has done yoga for a long time, and she is also a certified accountant. And so she does bookkeeping. So we're going to talk about yoga and money. Excited to have Mona De La Hook on, who is a renowned psychologist. She mostly works in the field of pediatrics, and she has a book called Beyond Behaviors. She's coming out with a new book about raising resilient kids and much of her work stems from looking at the root of behaviors. So, so much of the way that we have looked at parenting and raising our kids and teaching our kids is looking at the behaviors. But the thought is really that looking at behaviors is like the tail of the whip and you want right. to get to the root of that. And so she talks a lot about, she is very aligned with Stephen Porges in terms of the root of so much of behavior coming from anxiety and and sensory processing differences. So I think talking to her will be so interesting for people who work with kids in the, the yoga space, because so much of what we do as yoga teachers and yoga practitioners is we manage our nervous system and we manage our anxiety. And we honestly, we manage our sensory systems too. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk to her. And then I'm also going to talk to Rima Datta, who has, she's an uh, Indian American yoga teacher who just wrote an essay for Elephant Journal uh, about, she writes about teaching us white folks about colonization in a non-shaming, non-guilt-inducing way. So I thought it would be really, she's so kind. All of her, her approach to teaching is so aligned with what I think we can do for each other in terms of like holding space and having a process and experiencing things to come to a place of self-actualization. So looking forward to talking to her. Oh, and I'm also going to have Melissa McLaughlin on to talk about creating a mindful media habit because she has been studying yoga media and conspiracy theories, and she has so much interesting stuff to say. Nice. So talk, about, talk to her soon. And I'm going to talk to Dr. Jen Crane who has the Instagram handle at Cirque Physique or Cirque Physio. And she's someone that uh, she's one of the few people in social media who I follow, not because she's a friend. In fact, we've never met, but I learned stuff from her. And it's so it's like, that doesn't happen that much in social media. And she is an acrobat. She's a doctor of physical therapy and she writes a lot about hypermobility, especially Ehlers-Danlos and some more. And she does it in such a smart way that doesn't induce fear mm -hmm. amongst mobile students. Mm. And there's, there's just so much of this idea that if you have a mobile body, you're going to be broken into pieces. And you need to be scared and do less. And she, the way that she's able to articulate building strength within position and using different techniques to increase sensory feedback for people that have less sensory feedback because of their their massive ranges is really really huge. Cool. Um so for for me to talk to her I think is such a voice that the yoga community needs. Cool. Uh, can we get back about talking about me? Sure. Me talking. Absolutely. Okay, thank God. Yeah. All these people it's a relief. Am I, I ever going to be on? Mm, we'll see. Okay. So it's January, mm -hmm. and there are probably a lot of people coming to class that are new, that are coming to class again, mm -hmm. that are coming to class with their friend 
and they're new or they're back into it. And so it just got me thinking about what do I think is some of the best advice for being a new student of yoga? I thought about it both from the perspective of what's good advice if you're a new student, but also when you're teaching new students, Mm. what is some just general good advice to slowly but surely pass along? And so I created a simple list that came to mind, and I thought we could go through some of these things. These, If you're a teacher, I wouldn't like read this list off. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be like, okay, new students, listen to these (laughs) things. But I think things to keep in mind. There are things to keep in mind, and I think at least a thing or two will resonate with you, and you'll remind students of this consistently. You'll you'll do what we always want to do as yoga teachers, which is to have genuine, insightful advice and knowledge, and pass it on consistently. Great. Yeah. So the first thing that I was thinking is, as a new student, I want you to know that being a yoga practitioner is. I mean, it sounds trite when I say it, but it's a really long journey and that the results accrue over time, mm-hmm. right? So I think that I forget this. We live in such a world where we want immediate gratification. And I know that if I start a journey, if I want to learn some new skill set or, yeah, some new skill set, I kind of want results relatively soon. And I think that one of the reasons that people turn over so quickly in terms of their New Year's resolution is because so many people resolve to make changes that actually take a long time. And you have to understand when you step onto the yoga mat that not much is going to change in the short term. You know, I mean, really, you're not going to get that much stronger in the first month or two. You're not going to get that much more mobile in the first month or two. You're not going to find like immediate serenity and, you know, depth of self-knowledge in the first couple of weeks or month or two. And so this is one of those things that you want to prepare yourself that this is a lifelong process of learning. And if you are consistent with it, the results accrue. Mm -hmm. They build on each other over time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So this is sort of geared for people who come to class and are like, it's the new year. I'm going to try a new thing. And I've heard that yoga is good. And they're not quite feeling it at first Yeah, to help encourage them. Yeah. It's just like, let people know, hey, you you turned up in this room for good measure. Yeah. And you're actually stepping into a pretty big subject matter. Mm -hmm. You know, when when people, we have to, what we have to remember is when we don't know much about a subject, we tend to think it's a pretty small topic, right? Like if I don't know much about marketing or I don't know much about production or whatever it is, I might think, ah, there's not much to it. It's a little bit here and a little bit there. But then once you really step into that thing, you're like, man, there's a lot going on. And so you just want to remind your students, hey, you're stepping into a pretty big body of work that's pretty old. It's evolved into a complex dynamic phenomenon. So don't be in a rush and let yourself take take your time, right? Yeah. So another thing that comes up for me right away, I I like this phrase, okay, to be on your own side. Mm -hmm. And the first time that I came across this phrase directly uh, was in Buddha's brain. Mm -hmm. 
the book Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen. Mm-hmm. I think it's also his brother, but I forget his last name. Am I making that up? I think so. Probably. Yeah. You're thinking of Buddha's the Hansen brain. brothers? The Hansen brothers from... <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is, but if anyone gets the reference without Googling it, email me and I will give you $100 off. Oh, stop. Okay, sorry. We're not doing that. The only reason I care is because I don't have to do another coupon. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> God. Uh, but Buddha's brain... No, I think they are brothers. Just okay. move on. Rick and Derek. <laughs> To be on uh, your own slap side. Shot. And also the Hanson Brothers are a great punk band named named after the Hanson Brothers on the movie Slapshot with Paul Newman. I don't know what you're talking about. I was talking about Mbop. Oh, no, no, that's the band. That's We're what I was about the talking movie. about. The I movie and the hardcore band. Anyways, um, but to be on your own side. To be on your own side means to... Be as much of an ally to yourself as you actually can. If you are new to yoga, stop with the judgment, okay? If you're new to something, let yourself be bad at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, let yourself be lousy at it. And what I mean, people are going to be like, oh, don't be bad at you. But my point is, you aren't expected to, to already be skilled and knowledgeable in a body of work that you don't have exposure to. So be on your own side and as well as you can, pause the inner critic. It's going to come up. The insecurity is going to come up. The discomfort is going to come up. The confusion is going to come up. But be on your own side and appreciate that you are following your impulse to be well. Yeah. Because one way or another, you stepped into that yoga room to be well. Mm -hmm. You know, to learn about yourself, to get stronger, to move, whatever it is. Whatever reason you stepped in, underlying that reason is the urge to be well. And that is much more important than whether or not you're competent in down dog. Mm -hmm. So you have to be on your own side and appreciate like, even if this is confusing and you feel at a loss, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You turned up and you should do your best to value that. I think just hearing the phrase be on your own side sparks that awareness of how often we are not. And yes. so instead of saying to your critic, stop it, stop that, you can just say, no, I'm just, I'm going to be on my own side right now. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a supporter of myself in this process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the third thing that comes up for me that I want all beginners to know, and I just want teachers to remind their beginners of, whether it's a beginner class or not, right? This might be something you're saying, hey, everyone that's new, I want you to remember something. And this thing is that you're going to be really confused. Like you're going to be confused in class and that's okay. You're in a learning environment. And how are you going to learn anything if you're not confused? There's going to be confusion because you don't have previous exposure. You don't have previous knowledge. Your experience of practicing yoga probably isn't going to be what you think it is going to be like. And so you're going to be confused. You're going to be confused by the cueing. You're going to be confused by the weird metaphors, like the eyes of the elbows, right? You're going to be confused right side, left side. You're going to be confused up and down. There's so many things that are going to confuse you, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's how we learn. And related to this, right, kind of the next point is no one cares. And I mean this like with, with the best possible interpretation. No one is watching you. 
No one's assessing you. No one's judging you. It can be really difficult to be confused, let alone physically confused, in a group environment, Mm -hmm. right? Like if I'm confused about like logging into Instagram and I'm just looking at my phone, figuring out like, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. Like that's annoying enough. But but if I was in a group Mm -hmm. of people physically confused, it feels really uncomfortable. Yeah, it's really threatening. It is really threatening, right? And I think- If I'm in the middle of a volleyball game, I'm- (laughs) You're going to be threat- confused, I haven't brought right? up my 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 vol- volleyball phobia in many years, but it's the first thing I think of when I think about this. I, can I just jump in real quick? Yeah. I want to say that if you do feel like you're in an environment or you, you find yourself in an environment, a yoga environment, that feels like you are being <laughs> watched by other students. I'm thinking of certain environments I've been in over the years that are like packed and everybody's sweating and everybody knows the teacher and everybody knows the music and everybody knows what they're doing. And like, I feel a little bit, it's okay. There are other environments. Okay, but I'm going to actually play off what you said because it's actually my next point because I'm going to disagree with you hmm. as much as I don't like to disagree with you in life or on this podcast. I know why you don't like to disagree with me. Well, I, okay. Because it just I'm just annoying when you disagree with me. <laughs> That's part of it. Um, but what I'm going to say is almost everyone is also confused and making countless technical errors that you just don't understand. Mm. Listen, here's so I mean this I mean this kindly, okay? I mean all of this stuff kindly. I cannot tell you the amount of times over the years someone has been like oh my God, I couldn't do it like so-and-so. And And I'm like, like so-and-so? Why is so-and-so your benchmark? And I won't won't usually say it, but almost always, so-and-so is not necessarily equally confused, but there are countless things about so-and-so's technique that could also be improved. So what what I'm trying to get at is, Everyone is a, on a continuum of learning. There's there's like, it's unbelievably rare. And let's just talk about postural yoga for a moment. It's unbelievably rare that someone is in class is like some technically and skillfully rarefied student. There's some people that are really strong and there's some people that are really bendy. But in terms of the skill range that presents itself in class, it's always a range. And almost no one is some absolute asana master. So my point on this is you're going to be confused. It's okay that you're confused. Pretty much no one's watching you because they're paying attention to themselves. And if you are interpreting that everyone knows what's going on and everyone's so awesome at this, you're probably misinterpreting the reality of the situation. And that's probably coming more from your insecurity than an objective understanding of what's happening in the moment. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean that people aren't way more skillful and knowledgeable than you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? But my point on it is you want to follow that instinct to be well and not hold back because you're interpreting that you, that you don't have competence and that everyone else does. Yeah. 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 I think another really, really big thing to bring up is that sometimes 
oftentimes, it takes time to find the right teacher. Mm-hmm. And th- this is kind of where you are going, right? Yeah. It takes time to find the right teacher. It takes time to find the right studio. It takes time to find the right style. Yoga is so, in the, in the, in the modern era, even just going to a yoga class, it is virtually impossible to have any clue as to what's going to happen in that class, right? It, it, because even if you go to a specific style, like vinyasa yoga, well, vinyasa yoga has like all sorts of different iterations, right? Even if you went to something like a yin class, which is a little bit more, it's kind of a, a more narrow field in a way. It has more overt common denominators than vinyasa yoga does. Mm-hmm. But the personality of one teacher yeah. and the personality of another teacher, and even in yin, the duration of time spent in a posture for one teacher and another teacher is hugely different, right? So when you're a new teacher, excuse me, <clears throat> so when you're a new student, I think you really want to consider just playing around, shopping around, going to different times going to different classes. Yeah. And I would say the same thing. This is a very vulnerable thing for a teacher to say. But as a teacher, we want students to have a good fit. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. want students, do we want students to be in our class? Yes, of course we do. But it's more important that our students are finding a fit that's resonant with what they need to be well. And so for me, if I'm mostly teaching a class that's a strong class in a hot room and someone is not looking for that, then I want to help them see what they're looking for. You know, I want to guide them into a, a gentle or Hatha class or this or that. I want to I want to be a good – I don't want to be so insecure and so greedy – that I'm unable to steward someone in the right direction as a sure. student of yoga. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And even and even studio-wise, like the studios that I've always taught at, I've always loved the studio or I wouldn't be there. But sometimes I don't think it's the best fit for certain people. And so there'll be certain people I'll say, you know what? You can, of course, keep practicing here. But I think with what you're interested in and what what you're telling me about you, I think you might really like so-and-so studio. I check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want people to practice yoga more than I just want people to practice yoga with me. And I think that we all have to own that and, and remind ourselves of that. Related to the reality that it might take you time to find the right teacher and time and community and studio and so on. One of the things that you should know as a new student, and I don't know as a teacher how to really tell people this. Uh, maybe it's something that we just need to know as a new student and we figure out along the way, which is our preferences are going to change. Our body's going to change. Our priorities are going to change. Our values and our interests are going to change. And for me, I think this is one of the reasons that I feel so appreciative of the massive scope of the yoga tradition because there really is something for everyone. Not every pose is for everybody. Not every style is for everybody, but there is a pose for everybody and there's a style for everybody. 
And anyone that you talk to that's practiced yoga for more than 10 years, probably even less than that, the the way that they like to practice and engage with the practice today is almost always different than it was 10 years ago, five years ago. You know, I would even say that there are plenty of people that are style or school specific that's, that over the years also like to dabble in a little bit of a different method or a little bit of a different approach. So even if someone is primarily a student of Jiva Mukti Yoga or Iyengar Yoga, and that's, that's their heart and soul and they stick with that and that's their anchor, so many of that student type also here and there does some restorative, does some yin, kind of breaks... I don't want to say break out of the mode. It sounds sounds kind of negative, which I don't mean it. But my point is, is that we evolve, we change. And so the way that we practice can also evolve and change. Yeah. I thought we are, that's what we are all about here at Yoga Land, Inc. <laughs> Yoga Land, Inc. <laughs> uh, last couple ones, okay, which is, don't hold on too tightly to what your yoga teacher says. Hmm. Okay? Now listen. I, w- I want to s- I want to say this and then I I want to cuz it might sound negative. I don't mean it negative. I want to speak for yoga teachers and say we make mistakes and also sometimes we change our mind. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we learn and grow. And I also want to say sometimes we're just wrong. Right? And so Every yoga teacher on the planet is not some perfected absolute truth that you need to hang on their every word. I'm not saying don't listen to your teacher and Mm -hmm. don't trust your teacher. I'm saying there are countless students that 15 years ago I said, hey, and backbends don't engage your glutes. You want to keep your glutes soft. I I don't agree with that anymore. I think I was so wrong. Can I, can, so, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So you can get it. But my point is, is like, I don't want a student from 15 years ago to be like, nope, it's only that. I can never engage my glutes because I got told X, Y, or Z at some point in my career. Or you know, the th- another thing that's so small, but I swear this haunts people. At some point, every yoga new student was told in their standing poses, relax your toes, relax your toes. Don't relax your toes in your standing poses. They're part of your feet. They're a part of an active dynamic system. Did I think at some point you should relax your toes? Yes. Do I think you should relax your toes when there's no value to engaging your toes? Yes. Do I think you should always relax your toes when you're doing yoga? No. So that that's kind of my point on this is you want to listen to your teachers, but you want to afford us some amount of grace by not taking what we say in absolute black and white terms I think, that I think last what, forever. I think what you want to encourage people to do, which is what you you do, is listen to your yoga teacher and experiment on your own. Yeah. And if it doesn't work for you and you have tried it in earnest, then then perhaps you know, look at an alternative way. I mean, the example that I think of is when I had back pain and I had a teacher like insist that bridge pose was going to heal my my back pain, especially if I squeezed a block between my legs. And you know, like bridge, That's not gonna 
has always hurt my knees. So yeah. in addition to it hurting my back, it was hurting my knees. And she Did spent, the knee pain distract you from the back? Pain? I mean, it was like <laughs> she spent an entire, it was during my teacher training. It was not Sarah Powers, so just so anyone, but uh, she spent an entire afternoon making me do bridge pose different ways. And I was like, at that point, couldn't walk for a week, you know? So I learned that perhaps she wasn't, exactly familiar with my exact constitution, my exact body, my exact injury. And it would have perhaps been better for her to say, we're going to try a few things and you're going to see how it feels and let me know. Yes, I agree with that. Right. And so, and so you can kind of, I don't know. I just think that's, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess, no, I agree with you. But I think the broader point is, I think over the long term, yes, you want to accept I mean. the teacher's change. Yes, and but I don't think you want to say to people like, no, I, no, I, I'd want to say what I'm saying because here's what I want. I, here's what I want students to understand. Okay, I want students to understand that in the context of a sixty or ninety minute class, I have to make a lot of educational decisions that might limit your understanding of how the body and marks body and mind work in the long run, right? So I might tell you, okay, I might tell you in the context of a 60 or 90 minute class, hey, everyone, okay, it's time for bridge pose. Step the feet hip width apart, take the thighs parallel to each other, take a block between the thighs, squeeze the block, blah, 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 okay? Mm -hmm. I might say that in the context of a 60 minute class because in that context, we don't have time to do all this experimentation. Like in that one class, we're not going to look at all of the different ways you can do bridge pose. So what I don't want people to do is think, oh, well, in this class, the teacher told me to take their feet, my feet hip width apart, to keep my thighs parallel, and to squeeze a block. I don't want students to think that that is a wrong path. But I also don't want students to think that that this is the singular absolute truth. Essentially what I want what I want new students to understand is that their teachers care, their teachers are knowledgeable, their teachers are skillful. But the teacher in any given class is just doing their best to be a good guide for you and you don't want to take everything they say like a hundred percent as gospel. Okay. That's it. Okay. That, that's kind of it. That's okay. that's all I mean on that one. Okay. And then the final one, right? And I think, look, all of these are hugely, hugely important. But this one, in some ways, is an umbrella that should hang over everything, and it's and it's two part. Okay. Number one, the first part of it is, as a yoga practitioner. You're part of an ongoing and very old living tradition in that that tradition has cultural historical roots. So when I say that yoga is part of a living tradition, right, we don't go to the museum to study yoga. We don't crack open a history book to study yoga. Yoga is not an ancient artifact. It's not part of history. It has a historical context. But we practice it today in a modern context, in a way that is relatable to a, to a modern human's existence, right? I actually really like 
even though I have a modern approach, I like that I have a modern approach to a historical process. I really do feel like this thing I'm doing was not invented in 1987 in Berkeley, right? That it's old, that there's an ongoing uninterrupted connection of people using these various techniques of meditation, of movement, of breath, and of self-study to know themselves and beyond. I think one of the reasons I like that is because I don't know if this is part of being an American or whatever it is, but I don't feel that much cultural legacy to things. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not... Well, you I and I are say, not overtly religious either. Exactly. So I was just kind of kind of bring that up. Like, mm-hmm. I don't... I don't have a broader, deeper culture that that I feel connected to. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have like a, a legacy that I feel connected to, but I do feel that when I do my practice, I am part of a certain psycho-emotional archetype of people that use various techniques to know themselves and be well. Yeah. And and I and I think we want to. I think that's really important. It's really important to because so many people are. We feel a little debased, right, and a little bit acultural and a little lost. And so having that feeling of I'm 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 part of this profoundly long legacy of being a a seeker mm-hmm. at least in some way, mm-hmm. right. And then the second part of this, right, is that that there is cultural roots. Mm-hmm. And that those cultural roots can largely be traced to India. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so important to realize that the teachings of yoga transcend time, space, nation, and culture. But the cultural origins of yoga do not. Mm-hmm. The cultural origins of yoga have an original set of locations yep. on the subcontinent. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's just important to be respectful and to be knowledgeable of those of the origin, particularly in this subject matter, because 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 it is an ongoing living tradition. It's important to understand some of the base origin and be respectful of the location and the culture and to acknowledge that this isn't, you know, this is not something that we invented in a gym to be fit and skinny and strong and flexible. Right. If you want to use the postural things for those things, fine. Right. Right. That's your prerogative. Totally your prerogative. Mm -hmm. But this isn't, we can modernize the technique, but we can't decontextualize the historical arc and the origin of the discipline. Mm-hmm. And if we do so, I think I think we're cheating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like in a we in a weird way, it's almost it's not even just problematic externally, mm-hmm. it's problematic internally. Mm-hmm. When we don't know that this thing that we're participating in is this profound multi multicultural phenomenon that has origins in another time and place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is really quite beautiful to think 
to think about people, you know, and it's so hard because we don't know who the people were and we don't know how many people there were and we don't know if women were at all involved in any way, right? Um, I mean, we assume they weren't, but I don't know. We don't know. And so, but it is still, even though there's so much mystery, it is still really beautiful to think that, as you said, like here we are just two, a mom and dad sitting in Southern California. Like we benefited from this technology that people just like, they created. I mean, they... They tested it. It came to them in some way. There was some spark and they codified it and they taught it and they created it. And that that's just a really beautiful thing. It actually shocks me that we've never talked about this in such an explicit way on the podcast before. But I agree wholly with what you said about... Yeah. You know, it's a living tradition, and and as such, it will change, yeah. right? It, in fact, it would be a dead tradition if it did true, not. True, true. And yet, that importance of understanding the history and the context and the time and place is so valuable. So That's is the last thing, and I'll be quick, which is, this is one of the many examples of two things not only can be true at once, but are true at once. Right. That... Yoga has specific cultural, historical, technological, if you will, origin in India with influences from outside of India. But it, that's, it's, it's its birthplace, for sure. And it is also a modern, accessible, culturally heterogeneous phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is all of these things. Right. And so as a new student you kind of want to understand both. Yes. Yes. And we could talk about that more. But I mean, part of the reason it's heterogeneous is because there were definitely different streams. Yes. As it developed. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I enjoyed that. Likewise. Thought process about encouraging your beginners as well as sharing this with your your friends or family who are just starting out with their yoga practice and as always you can find show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode one four no sorry two four nine one oh oh my goodness um and i know that we have more content on the site for beginners so i will dig that up and link to it on the show notes And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, it's so helpful if you leave a rating and review, preferably a five-star rating and review. Yeah, anything less, just don't. (laughs) And uh, lastly, if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of these new great upcoming episodes and Yoga Teacher Companion episodes, make sure to sign up for our newsletter. And you can just go to jasonyoga.com slash newsletter to get on our mailing list and we send you all the good stuff all the free content we don't spam you we don't share it all that jazz all right until next week everyone enjoy your practice